welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema at Brigham Young University. This podcast is our 10th of BYU's fall semester, 2022. I'm Doug Weatherford, co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined by Mark Yamada. Welcome, Mark. Thanks. Great to be here. Mark is Associate Professor of Comparative Arts and Letters in BYU's College of Humanities and is currently serving as Asian Studies Coordinator in the David M. Kennedy Center here on campus. Mark received a PhD in Japanese from UC Berkeley and has published on modern Japanese and East Asian literature and media. And I like to think that Mark's greatest academic accomplishment to date is that he was a recent co-director of International Cinema. In fact, I had the pleasure of working with him for a year when I first came on in this position. We're thrilled to have Mark back today to talk about the 2021 South Korean film, Aloners, directed by Hong Sun Yoon. And Mark, why don't we start off by having you tell us a little bit about the director and about this film? Great. Thanks, Doug. So, Aloners, I think the Korean title actually translates to People Living Alone. Kind of a, a similar thing, but yeah. Directorial debut of Hong, as you mentioned, who's a female filmmaker in South Korea, attended the Korean Academy of Film Arts, which is the leading film school in South Korea. And the film is a really interesting one. I think we mentioned, we were talking a little bit before this, but is it really horror? And it kind of bills itself as horror. And we can talk more about that. But it, the film tells of a kind of an urban dweller named Gina who works at a call center for a credit card company. And her mom recently passed away, so she's dealing with some grief. Her life is very mediated by technology. She's always on screen, she's at home, she's watching TV, and TV is actually playing while she's sleeping. She's watching videos on her phone, she's on her computer when she works, and so it seems like she's always she's going from screen to screen, it seems like, which is not that uncommon, right? right. <laughs> <Nowadays>. <laughs> One day her neighbor dies, and it, she has this kind of weird supernatural experience where she sees him, I think after supposedly his death, smoking on the balcony of their apartment building. And so there's some kind of weird supernatural things like that that happen. And one day she's asked to train a new worker at her call station who's kind of like the opposite of her. She's very outgoing. This young woman is very plucky and kind of eager to, to get to know Gina, but Gina is a little bit more kind of withdrawn and hesitant to kind of form relationships. And so that's kind of the overview of the film. And I might point out that we actually use this film to fill in a theme that we've developed that is called Life on the Web. Mm. We actually have one film that is completely disconnected from the web. <laughs> it's the uh, Bolivian film Utama, uh, which is the opposite of this. But I, I really like this film because I, I think in many ways it resonates with the way a lot of individuals in today's world feel especially yeah. younger people, but throughout the world. Yeah. So I was wondering maybe if you could talk about what some of the maybe universal and also some of the regional elements of this film sure, are. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's really good. Maybe begin with the regional. And I'll start with kind of the genre that it's working in. And it, it kind of surprised me at first because I, I thought that we were going to see one of these Asian horror films that deals with technology. I mean, this seems to be kind of the main theme. A lot of Asian horror is kind of technology and the supernatural. When we go back to a Japanese film called Ringu from the late 90s, which is about a haunted videotape that gets passed around, almost like a chain letter. And then you have a series of other films that are kind of dealing with. And so this might be, in some ways, the, the next iteration of that. And so you get a little bit of that, a connection that way, I think, this kind of idea of haunted tech and the way that her 
her cell phone will ring and the caller ID is her mom, but yet it's her, her father using her mom's phone to call her after her mom's death. And so some weird things like that. But I think ultimately it, it really kind of deals with, like you said, these issues of technology and how they're kind of extending our lives and, and making them better, but also in some ways maybe alienating us from, from community and things like that. Um, some of the the South Korean elements, and I think they, they translate worldwide, but, you know, South Korea is one of the most mediated countries in the world. I mean, people are always on, I mean, it's, it's very true to the film and people are in PC cafes and they're on their phones. And of course, South Korea has this really wide network of Wi-Fi and, and cell phone usage. And so very mediated on the one hand, at the same time, Korean culture is all about relationships. Going back to, in some ways, maybe Confucian ideas of relationships and where you fit into kind of your school community, your family, and things like that. And so you have, on the one hand, kind of this technological kind of emphasis, but you also have this value placed on relationships. And so maybe one of the questions I think the, the director's asking is, can we maintain these same kind of relationships through technology? In one scene in the film, she sets up a webcam, right, of her father. And instead of visiting him, can we kind of see how he's doing through webcam? Can we talk to people on the phone? Can we still have these relationships? And it seems like it's a challenge for, for the characters to do this. Yeah, and one of the things that I uh, particularly like about this film is some of the ways that it creates this idea of alienation. I might ask you about, you know, we were talking about technology, and we may talk a little bit more about that, but I'm also wondering about how you see representations of the city because uh, that's one of the things that I was really interested in the film, in part because there aren't a lot of representations of the city. Yeah. And I was wondering if you might talk about how the visual element, the urban you know, reality of living in a contemporary South Korean city unfolds in the film. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think you're right. I, I'm, I'm thinking back to kind of depictions of the city and you're getting a lot of, if you think about it, kind of the way that the main character is framed is almost like she's on a Zoom call, you know? throughout the film she's kind of shot front on when she's on the computer at the call center when she's sitting there eating noodles she's watching you know she's, she's shot in a way that you would the image that you would see if you're kind of communicating over a phone and you get some of these apartment buildings that are kind of ubiquitous and everyone kind of lives in their own little place and some long shots and some deep focus shots that kind of accentuate the distance between people i mean it seems like the urban spaces are eliminated to a certain degree and you're getting more of kind of this mediated space right in between there. Yeah. I mean, what did you think about the, yeah. Well, one of my favorite scenes is one of the ugliest in the film. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't look like there would be anything specific to it, but if any of my uh, ICS 290R students are listening, yeah. uh, we're going to probably examine this scene in that class. We talk about this movie but it's just kind of in an outdoor space from the call center where Gina works. And it's where a few of the individuals go to smoke. Oh. So it is a deep focus shot. Like you say, right. it's kind of confined, you know, on the left and the right, but it moves in depth and you'll see about three or four different groups, maybe a couple of people that are talking together and then people that are isolated. Yeah. But the way the shot is created puts about a half dozen people in close proximity, right. but only because of the visual trick of the fact that in depth, these people are actually isolated. I do remember and, that shot. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's ugly. You wouldn't say that this is great, spectacular yeah. cinematography, but it works to create the sense of isolation. Yeah. That yeah. And, and the other shot I was thinking of was when, when she's on the balcony and she walks past the man yeah. who's smoking 
and it's deep focus. And so you're seeing that separation. They're neighbors, and yet they're just so far apart, right? right. Yeah. And, and like you say, you know, I was impressed that the camera almost always seems to be in front of Gina, right? Yeah. So it's moving in front of her, watching her approach towards the camera right. as the camera moves back instead of the camera being placed behind her. Yeah. And I do think that it helps create that sense of isolation because even though there's movement, there's still entrapment, Yeah. right? And your sense that it kind of almost feels like a Zoom call. Yeah, and it's almost like, I, I think now that I'm remembering, there is that kind of tracking shot that, be, that opened, right? Where right. she's kind of going and you're just kind of in her headspace. And it just kind of reminded me of the ways in which we've become really good at creating this kind of bubble around ourselves, right? right? I mean, if you look at people on campus, and I'm guilty of this too, of just having your headphones in. And, yeah. You know, I, some, some people will go from a Zoom call to their phone to a movie, all on the same headphones. And we're really good at that. And, and I think there's, it's interesting because the, the woman said, I'm not even really an introvert. I don't want to do this. But yet, it's something about how we've been able to, through technology, kind of create our own little bubble that is in some ways safer. And I think maybe it has to do a little bit with social anxiety and some of the grief and trauma that she's experienced. But it's almost safer to kind of create this world. That's why it's so interesting when the trainee kind of comes in because she has to sit right next to her <laughs> and invade her space and kind of get in the middle there. Right? And she doesn't like her space invaded. <laughs> she doesn't like her space invaded. And she wants to sit next to her at the, the restaurant and kind of just be part of things. And I just thought that it was such a great way to kind of introduce a character who, you know, in some ways, I think there's a line in the film where something I think that she says, the main character says, this generation is good over media, but bad in person, right? And it's like, she's very skilled when she talks on the phone at the call center. She's very smooth, kind of jaded, right? She kind of just deals with people right. in a way that's, you know, and the girl comes in who she's training and is, is kind of clumsy, but there's a, there's an authenticity, right? There's a one moment where I think a, a caller keeps calling about, you know, wanting to go in a time machine back to 2002, you know, and she kind of just writes it off like he's crazy and she, you know. But the, the trainee asks the man, why do you want to go back to the 2002? And it's just kind of this moment of authentic connection that you're missing, right? Yeah, and you can almost tell that, you know, these people who call the call center almost because they just need to speak just with somebody. To talk to somebody, yeah. That she's really good working with them, yeah, right? Yeah, it, It's almost as if she is a counselor. Interesting, You yeah, know, giving yeah. them meaning in a life that may be isolated in their own. Right. But then the person sitting right next to her, she, she can't really. doesn't have enough energy yeah. or desire to communicate with her. Right, yeah. Yeah. Be before I mention a point, because one of the things I really like about this film is that I feel that it approaches very universal themes mm -hmm. of isolation. But uh, before I give an example yeah. of that, I, I just was wondering if you might talk a little bit more about some of the uniquely Korean aspects of the film. I mean, why would we watch this and say, okay, this is life in South Korea, other than what we've already mentioned about yeah. the, uh, the yeah, isolation? Well, you know, the whole relationship of her the trainee coming into the new situation and having kind of this senior junior relationship is very important and that the senior takes care of the junior and the junior is kind of, you know, listens to the senior. And so they form this kind of important relationship, I think in the workplace and colleges and all these places. And so that's something that you see kind of her struggling with a little bit, right. As well as with her relationship with her father, her neighbors, these kind of community things. So I think that would, would be something that would resonate with global audiences, but I think particularly with, Korean audiences would see how, okay, we're all about relationships, and yet we, we kind of struggle at the same time with these relationships. There's, there's some references to some South Korean kind of media consumption 
aspects like the, the mukbang TV shows that are kind of about watching people eat, which is kind of a, a weird phenomenon, but you can actually watch these YouTube videos about people. And there's, you know, they're, they're kind of a take on maybe these cooking or these culinary shows, but they're people who actually make food and then they eat it in front of you. And I don't know the appeal, but apparently they're very popular. And so they're shot in the same way, kind of front on. So it's like a Zoom call and they're just, they have this meal set out in front of them and they're, they just eat it. And so you're kind of interacting with them in this way, but it's in some ways a very kind of distanced relationship as well. And so I think those those things really kind of stuck out to me. I'm sure there are more little nuances here and there. So that we- before I mention what I was going to say, I also wanted to ask you about the phantasmagoric element of yeah. the film, right? That seems that there's a, a real Korean element here, yeah. right? So the person right next to her apartment has passed on. Right. And now the owner of that apartment has to prepare it to sell it. Right. And, and I think that there there must be something here that's Asian, that's Korean yeah. about, you know, living in spaces where people have died. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, well, you have these two kind of competing religions, which is Buddhism and, and Christianity. And it seems like it kind of Korean population kind of falls down the middle in terms of who's Christian and who's Buddhism and so Buddhist. And so you have her family who's Christian and they have kind of the Protestant church come over and they're, and she's kind of watching this from afar a little bit. It's kind of interesting. She's watching kind of this ritual unfold with this group that's come over, I think to kind of keep the father company and to give him comfort, right. After the mom passes away. But then there's also that ritual that occurs towards the end of the film where the new tenant is in some ways kind of placating and kind of performing these rituals as a way of almost a ceremony for the young man who passed away in the film. And that one, she kind of partakes in a little bit, right? She actually kind of goes in the door and kind of sees that going on. There's a little bit of a communion going that way. And so it seemed like it was talking a little bit about religious communities as well and how they kind of situate themselves around these different aspects of death, right? Because that's really kind of the central thing. This is kind of another element of the film, but it seems like this idea of the self kind of living on through things, right? The way her mom's things are kind of discarded and she kind of ignores them, but then the ashtray from the young man who kind of is there and kind of carries on. So it's almost like we don't connect with them personally, but we connect with them through mediation, but also through things, right? There's a certain affect, right? That their their personality, their selves kind of exist on through these things. But yeah, I, I think that kind of tension between those two religious kind of community would be something that would really kind of appeal. And then I was trying to think about maybe what's the connection to the supernatural? Is there a connection? To me, the supernatural is such an interesting aspect of the film because it seems like that would dominate. And yet after I watched the film, I thought that really wasn't a horror film per se. It's so understated. Yeah. Yeah. And yet there's something I really like about the way in which she sees the young man after he dies. And it's almost like, She's been watching TV for so long that there's a glitch, like she's out of tune with things, right? There's, right. Yeah, there's kind of this, even in, in, in the real world, it's almost like TV, where there's this, this kind of weird out of syncness. Yeah, I don't know. And uh, so, kind of going back to where I was headed a little while ago, I'm going to comment on two people that I know quite well because I, I'm a professor of Spanish American literature and film yeah. and, and photography and whatnot. There's a, a great Chilean poem called Walking Around by Pablo Neruda. And even though the poem is in Spanish, the title's in English. And in this poem, Neruda, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature, is trying to comment on kind of the alienation effect of being in a big city. And I think that's part of the reason why he says walking around. We never know what city we're in. But within this poem, the poetic voice 
wanders around. And so we never see the city from above, mm. right? We see small space, small space, small space. And there's never another person that's described in the poem. Mm. Instead, we get metonymic allusions to objects that mm. represent people. Yeah. So he describes, you know, movie theaters or uh, barber shops and sunglasses yeah. and uh, umbrellas. Right. So the umbrella kind of represents a presence, but also an absence. Yeah. It's a presence of human activity because it's what humans use. But there's right. an absence because there's no person described with it. Right. And then there's a photographer by the name of Juan Rufo from Mexico who has a series of photographs which he took in kind of communal spaces in Mexico City, and they're called saguanes. Mm. And they're kind of an opening that are, is shared. And then you'll have stairs that go up and, and hallways that go back. And within these spaces, what he's doing is he's taking photographs of sheets and clothes that are hung out to dry, mm. right? And so you get this real sense of kind of a presence and an absence yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So kind of like in Neruda's poem and Juan Rufo's photography, you get somehow this sense that you've combined presence and absence. And I had this feeling when I watched this movie yeah. that I was seeing another way of talking about both the presence and absence of human life. Mm. And it's almost as if that hallway where these apartment doors, you know, they all open up and uh, then you get this communal space and that's where she sees this phantasmagoric figure. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost as if in some way he's a presence and an absence and she is living so isolated that she becomes a presence and an absence, yeah. right? That somehow she is disappearing uh, within her own skin. And, and to, at least to me, it, it felt like there is a really deep commentary yeah. on urban life that the phantasmagoric becomes a vehicle in which this movie can comment on the meaning of contemporary life. I don't know if I'm way off No, I think, I think you're right. I think going back to that example of the cell phone ringing, it's kind of like you see your mom's name and it brings up an effectual response like oh it's mom calling yeah. and yet it's an absence too because it's not her it's you know and so there's also a scene with the webcam i think she goes back and watches some of the video of her mom but right. her mom's kind of outside of the frame and you're kind of expecting something supernatural to happen right because this is what you're expecting in, the, in kind of this webcam style thing where you know you see a ghost walk by her but she never really sees anything right she just kind of sees just general activity there's always something outside of you know in the next room or something that's going on but she never really act connects with it, you know, her mom's stuff, which is also kind of a representation of presence and absence as at the same time. I think even the the spray that the young trainee leaves behind, right? Yeah, so I, I think that's a good way of thinking about it, that there's this kind of threat or this tendency for us to kind of disappear a little bit, right, in these urban spaces, yeah. yeah. Although, uh, wouldn't you think that her mother also becomes perhaps a second ghost within this film? I think so. Yeah. Especially in, you know, as she's watching... Yeah. The tape and the day her mother passes, she's kind of almost sleepwalking and moves yeah. across the room. Yeah, yeah. And, and she looks like a ghost, <laughs> right? But maybe, maybe it's not the neighbor, maybe it's not the mother, maybe it's her, right? That is the ghost in this urban environment, or maybe yeah. we all are. Yeah. You know, one of the things that really impressed me is that, you know, like you said, she tends to leave the television on all night long yeah, yeah. and then her phone goes off you know and it, it's an apple phone like many of us have right and when the alarm goes off unless you change the ringtone right we all have the same ringtone right right, right? so right, whether right, you're in right, germany right. and korea or yeah. japan or the united states that, yeah. you know I, I don't know about you guys but when i heard that i looked for my phone <laughs> right and it was a real fun way of breaking the fourth wall yeah. you know because when i look for my phone i realize that one way or another 
I'm like this person in yeah. the film, yeah. Yeah. right? I'm as alone, I'm as connected, and being connected, I'm as disconnected to the society. I really related to the idea of kind of being on a screen constantly and having no kind of intermediary yeah. space between that, right? That, yeah. yeah. Well, we don't want to give away too many spoilers, but I did want to ask you, about the conclusion and whether you feel like this film ends on a positive note or a negative note? I would say positive. I, I felt like you definitely see kind of an, a reintegration a little bit into these kind of this communal world in which you have relationships. It seems like she's kind of mending some of these relationships that she allowed to kind of dissolve a little bit, you know, with her father, with, you know, co-workers, even with kind of community, the apartment community and kind of partaking. So it seemed to me to be kind of a positive shift. She's in some ways, you know, in terms of relationships, at least, that these are kind of being restored. Yeah, I, I think that personally, that uh, as you watch this film, yeah. that's one of the questions you need to ask yourself is yeah. how do we interpret the conclusion of this film? And since we've talked about uh, cities, I think you'll notice one of my favorite shots in the film, I think this is really well done, is at the very end, she's riding on a bus again. And the camera now is outside of the bus, but traveling along with the bus. And as we see her through the window, the city becomes reflected mm. on the glass. And it's really almost the first time. I think there's one other shot that you might uh, say you see a little bit of the city, yeah. but you see a broader view of the city. Oh. It almost feels that even though she's inside a bus, yeah. kind of trapped again, but the image itself opens up because of what we see reflected on the glass. So take a look for that okay. and see what you think, whether it's a positive or negative ending. I think this is a great film. I really enjoyed it. Mark, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Really amazing debut. It'd be fun to watch her films coming up. And, yeah. and really, I, you know, it's such a great thing to have female women directors because they incorporate a new vocabulary that you know, ways of shooting and, and perspectives, I think, that are so important. Yeah, yeah. I, I think people will really like this. And I have to admit that Asian films <laughs> tend to be really popular in international yeah. cinema. Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure what that is. It was one <laughs> of the things that most surprised me, yeah. right? I mean, I've, I had seen my share of Asian films. Yeah. But as we get together in this international cinema studies seminar class that we have, that I can just tell that there's a lot of enthusiasm for Asian films, especially South Korean. And I think people will enjoy this one sure. as well. To finish up, I'd like to do something that we've been doing a little bit more this semester, and that is ask Mark some rapid fire okay. questions to learn a little more about him. Great. And first of all, it's a Parasite or Howl's Moving Castle. Which one? Parasites. Parasite. Yes. You're a parasite person. <laughs> Harold Lloyd or Charlie Chaplin? I'll go Chaplin there. Okay. Superhero or Western? Ooh. I'm going to go Western just because I feel like super, superhero's been, you know, too much lately. Yeah. Okay. Guillermo del Toro or Pedro Almodovar? I'll go del Toro there. Yeah. Great. Thriller or horror? I, that's tough. Thriller. I'll say thriller. The first one that comes to mind. Yeah. Okay. Cinema uh, Verite or Bollywood? I'll go Verite. Hitchcock or Shyamalan? Hitchcock. Uh, I think that's an easy one, isn't yeah, that's, it? <laughs> that's, that's easy. Uh, Studio Ghibli or Pixar? I'm going to have to say Ghibli. I'm a little biased there. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> dialogue or action? Oh, I as I get older, dialogue. Okay. A road movie or rom-com? Give me a good road movie. I'm the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Singing in the Rain or La La Land? Oh, 
on. Well, that's a hard one. I haven't seen Singing in the Rain in a long time, and I saw La La Land recently, so there's a certain kind of recency, you know, bias here. So, but so, so did you go remake over original as well, in general? No, I'm going to go original on that, but I'm going to say La La Land just because it's okay. fresher on my mind. I'm sure if I saw Singing in the Rain again, that I would probably be more, but I, I can't just bias that just because it's the, it's the classic. Okay. And I think I know what you're going to say for this one too. Long take or quick cutting? Ooh, I like long takes. I did too. And I knew you were going to say that because I know you're a fan of the film 1917. Yeah. Let me ask you one final question to end up. And that would be, what is the favorite film that you have seen at International Center? Oh my goodness. That is so hard to say. Well, I'm going to have to say Parasite just because it was such a fun experience to have so many people watching this one film together and having these emotional reactions and at the same time. So I think in, in terms of having the crowd involved, it would, it would have to be that film. Great. Thank you. I, I thought that was what you were going to answer <laughs> as well. Mark, it's been uh, great having you here. And we thank as well our listeners for joining us today on From the Booth. And I'll just remind you that this podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at Brigham Young University and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our sound engineer, Hannah Guevara, and Johnny Stallins, who composed our podcast soundtrack. Visit ic.byu.edu for upcoming films and showtimes. And until next week, keep watching great international movies. 